Our scripture reading today is Jesus appearing to Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. If you'd like, you can follow along in the order of worship. It's also located on page 769 of the Pew Bible. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I continue to marvel at the musical talent here where we can break into Amazing Grace so appropriately and the band just jumps in, including the mandolin. Wade Sexton could play coconuts and it would just sound so good. Reminds me of a movie. I bet you couldn't ride the horse, though. It's ma- Your mandolin is made from a coconut? Why are you stalling me here? I just <clears throat> Wonderful song. Uh, we began, I don't know if you remember, we began singing uh, There is Good News for the Doubter. And that's what we're here to talk about today, and I've got my water up here at a marvelous memorial service yesterday for Henry Lyon. Our own David Lyon gave a wonderful word. Uh, somewhere on the way to the parking lot, the, the pollen bug uh, caught, caught up with me, so, so bear with me a bit. But we sang the, uh, earlier this morning, uh, There's Good News for the Doubter, and then the wonderful Doubting Thomas song, which I thought was just so wonderful. Sometimes doubt is understandable. Sometimes it's healthy. Sometimes... We just need a little more verification, or it just doesn't make sense. This is a true story. In 1993, FBI agents conducted a raid of Southwood Psychiatric Hospital in San Diego, which was under investigation for medical insurance fraud. After hours of reviewing medical records, the agents had worked up an appetite. The agent in charge of the investigation called a nearby pizza parlor to order a quick dinner for his colleagues. And this was recorded by the FBI. This really happened. Now, I want to just say the FBI guy is in the yellow. The pizza guy is in the white. And I'm just going to walk us through this. Phone rings. Hello, I would like to order 19 large pizzas and 67 cans of soda. Pizza man. And where would you like them delivered? We're over at the psychiatric hospital. The psychiatric hospital? That's right, I'm an FBI agent. (laughs) You're an FBI agent? That's correct, just about everybody here is. (laughs) And you're at the psychiatric hospital? That's correct, and make sure you don't go through the front doors, we have them locked. You will have to go around to the back to the service entrance to deliver the pizzas. And you say you're all FBI agents? That's right. How soon can you have them here? And everyone at the psychiatric hospital is an FBI agent? That's right. We've been here all day and we're starving. How are you going to pay for all of this? I have my checkbook right here. And you're all FBI agents? 
That's right, everyone here is an FBI agent. Can you remember to bring the pizzas and sodas to the service entrance in the rear? We have the front doors locked. I don't think so. <laughs> Click. Isn't that great? Sometimes we need more verification before we believe what somebody says. And Thomas himself needed more verification after the disciples had told him that Jesus had risen from the dead. He was not there the first time they saw him. Now, I want to take up for Thomas this morning. He's been called Doubting Thomas so often. I think I would call him a skeptic, and I'm a skeptic by nature. I think he was a questioner. But yes, sometimes we ourselves move into phases in our pilgrimage of doubt. So this morning I want us to encourage, I want to be encouraged to question like Thomas, but also to believe like Thomas, to question like Thomas and to believe like Thomas. I, I've ministered to students through the years and, and members here at Brookwood Baptist who sometimes feel guilty if they go through a phase about doubt, about something related to the life of faith, something about why things happen, all that. But, but that can be healthy. And no doubt it can lead to a deeper faith, and it's very much a part of faith itself. And, and it can make you more mature in your faith, and it can even strengthen your call to missions, which I'll get to in a few minutes. But I would say God blesses us when we question like Thomas and when we believe like Thomas. So let's break down those two. First of all, God blesses us when we question like Thomas. Look at John 20, verses 24 and 25. This begins the account that was read a moment ago. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, Thomas is not sure about that. He's not just going to buy that carte blanche. No way. You know, he, I'm sure Thomas wanted to believe that, but he couldn't help but question it and say, you know, I need to see more evidence. Now, let me just say, Jesus blesses us when we sometimes question and even doubt because he can handle that, you know? He can handle that, and not only can he handle that from you and me, he stays with us. He remains close to us, even when sometimes, by virtue of our questioning or our doubt, we might feel a little distant from him, but he is right there with us. And folks, we are wired to ask questions from the start, from the time we're children. Just a few weeks ago, we dealt with the passage in Mark when we were in that series about unless you humble yourself and become like a, what, child... You will never enter the kingdom of God. And it reminds me of a wonderful quote by Henry Drummond. I know that Tom and Marla Quartz love Henry Drummond. I saw your head just come straight up there, Marla. One of the great writers, he wrote the wonderful book, The Greatest, uh, the Greatest Thing in the World, where he kind of breaks down 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love. But he has another wonderful book called Listening to Giants. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Marla, but it's a marvelous piece. And look at what he says about questioning and doubt. He says, we're born questioners. Look at the wonderment of a little child in its eyes before it can speak. The child's great word when it begins to speak is why. Every child is full of every kind of question about every kind of thing that moves and shines and changes in the little world in which it lives. That is the incipient doubt in the nature of man. Respect doubt for its origin. It is an inevitable thing. It is not a thing to be crushed. It is a part of man as God made him. Doubt is the prelude to knowledge, and let me say doubt is the prelude to faith and a deeper one as well. Now that childlike questioning will continue into adulthood because, again, that's just how God created us. It's how we're wired. And let me just say, when you go through times of doubt about your faith or questioning your faith, you know what that's saying? It's saying how important your faith is to you. 
I like the way Brian McLaren puts it. Brian has written some amazing books like A New Kind of Christian. I think Wallace Haynes who read scripture. I think in a Sunday school class we went through a book called More Ready Than You Realize that he wrote about evangelism and stuff. But I appreciate what he says here. He says, if I didn't care about following Christ, I wouldn't care so much about being honest, seeking truth, facing reality. I would be more tempted to simply go with the flow, take the easy way, maybe anesthetize my intellectual pain instead of persevering through it toward the truth. You know, as we persevere toward the truth, we're going to question some things along the way. But we do that because our faith is so important to us. And let me say, I think God blesses that. I think God is in a way pleased by that, that it's so vital to who we are and what we're about. Now, let me say, I'm not talking about doubting for doubt's sake. Mark, I thought your prayer was great. Because some people overdo it, and they want to question everything. They want to doubt everything, and it makes them feel a little smarter, or they come up with conspiracy theories or the like. You know, too much doubt can become self-destructive. Uh, uh, it can lead to despair and depression. It's like when we talk about anger or grief or fear or imagination. All of those can be very appropriate and very healthy, but when it's mishandled, it can spin someone out of control. And some people do want to question everything. They, they can even get caught up in strange theories. One of our church members over here encouraged me to see a Netflix documentary called Behind the Curve. Has anybody seen that? It's about the flat earth, uh, the flat earthers, uh, you know, and, and they have this conspiracy theory about the earth actually looking like that, and it's flat. And, and it's fun because, you know, it's, it's these folks who, God bless them, are just engaged in this obsessive questioning, and they really don't want to see any other option with this. They're kind of being fundamentalist toward this one conspiracy theory. And if you watch the documentary, it's like the last 60 seconds, they debunk their own theory just with a flashlight. It's really funny to watch, but, but, and, and God bless them, but it is funny, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, obsessive questioning like that when things are not needed, you know, it, it, it's sad when it wanes thin in the face of evidence. But that kind of questioning is unhealthy. And, and, and you can apply that to matters of faith. Too much of that, when you get into a cycle of that, obviously is not what God wants for you. And I don't think God blesses that. Again, God can handle your tough questions. And what's wonderful about the biblical record is that it shows that Jesus handled qu tough questions from Thomas. Let's look at John 14, 2 through 6. Uh, some of us learned it early. As in my father's house, there are many rooms, or even in the King James, many mansions, right? New, New Living Translation, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare an, a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, those are wonderful, comforting words to us. But Thomas, the questioner, speaks up and says what? No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? It's a, it's a fair question. Basically, Jesus says, you know me, you know the way, okay? But his questioning shows that Jesus is important to him. He wants to be with him. He wants to know the way to him. And even though Thomas is questioning, Jesus is so important to him that he's willing to die for him. Do you remember the account of the raising of Lazarus? Let's go to John chapter 11. This is right when Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus is already dead, but I'm glad he was so I can show you what it means to believe. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there for now. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now, I am sure at that moment Thomas is like, I just don't get this guy. 
but I love him and I know that somehow he's the son of God. And I don't understand in myself so many questions about him, but I love him so much I'm willing to do what? What's the very next verse? Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. He loves Jesus that much. His life with Jesus is that important to him. Yes, he goes through moments of doubting Jesus and not understanding Jesus just like you and I do. But it really is a testimony to the fact that he was willing to go and die with him. Faithful followers have questions sometimes, even doubts. And I think Jesus blesses that in us. You know, questions and doubts can be really a doorway to spiritual growth, and I think God will bless that. But not only does God bless us when we question like Thomas, secondly, God blesses us when we believe like Thomas. Please don't leave it at doubting Thomas, because you know what happens at the end. Eight days later, Jesus appears, and I love what he says. What does he say? Peace be with you. And I think he's saying that most directly to Thomas, peace be with you. This greeting that Jesus gave is the kindest, most generous, most benevolent Greek greeting you could give to someone. It literally means all peace in all ways and at all times be with you. Gave him the, the warmest greeting possible. He didn't get there and scold Thomas for having doubts. He didn't belittle him. He was so pleased to see him. It really was a glad reunion. He says, see my hands now, touch my wound, go ahead. And look how Thomas responds to Jesus. This is great. John 20, 28, what does he say? My Lord and my God. For a Jew to make this statement back then was blasphemous and it was punishable by death. But at that point, friends, Thomas didn't care. Didn't care at all. Now what's amazing, and some of us know this, some of us don't, but tradition and other reliable sources say that Thomas became the great evangelizer of a certain country. Does anybody know which one? Who knew that? India. Tuck? Tuck? How did you know that? It's in your Bible? Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, this can help. Yeah, no, good. Way to make a note. He became the great evangelizer of India. Uh, Between AD 52 and AD 72, reliable sources say that he was there doing this amazing evangelism. I know uh, missionary kids who have passed through Sanford who have been to some of the churches that supposedly Thomas helped to found over there in Goa and in other places. And what's amazing is at one point he was demanded of by a, a group of people of non-believers that he renounce his faith, and he refused to do that. And because he refused to renounce his faith, they drove a stake through him, and he was martyred. <laughs> Thomas the questioner, <laughs> Thomas the doubter, Thomas faithful to the end. You know, sometimes when we're questioning and doubting, I will say this, though, it's others through whom Jesus restores our faith when we see and touch their wounds. You know, I wasn't there to see Jesus and and see his wounds and touch his side, but I've seen Jesus and seen the wounds in other people who have been deeply wounded, and when I have seen and touched their wounds and they've allowed me to and, and, and they've shared those with me, with us, they might have even suffered and questioned at points, but ultimately they remain faithful. And folks, I can look around here right now. I could look at... Brian and Emily Bonds, who are understandably not here. I could look at the Stevens here. I can think of Bethany Pridmore. Gosh, I could, you know, the, the, all the amazing ladies, you, you know, uh, Renita and, and Holly, and I could give you all the last names, but I mean all the people who were diagnosed with cancer as of late. I, th- I think of Logan Sanderson. I think of Gil and Vicki Franks, who lost their beloved son. I think of people who lost jobs here. 
and had to journey through that time of unemployment. I, I could go on and on. Man, I think of David and Kim Meeks right back here who are so awesome to see back in. Welcome them back, please, that, that they're back. Uh, David and Kim have journeyed a very challenging road as of late, and, and I just look at them, and I look at and, and uh, so grateful that they can share their wounds with us, and it helps me to believe more. You minister to us that way, and we thank you for that. Just all these testimonies. These folks who here have shared their wounds with us and let us be touched by them in that, in a, in that incredible way, seeing is believing. And, and being strengthened by the cloud of witnesses around us, we can experience that seeing is believing in another way. And let me just put it this way, and please just follow me here. I, I think it's urgent that we become unbelieving about the things that matter. What do I mean by that? It's good to work through those times of doubt and disbelief, perhaps, but we need to get to a point of unbelieving about certain things. What do I mean by this? It was, it was, it was Easter Sunday when we were wrapping up the Adoptiverse, and, and yeah, I don't know if Doug Barton's here. I don't think he's here this morning, but... Doug, you're here. Sorry, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Do you forgive me? You're a big guy. Please forgive me. Okay, okay, good, good, good. All right. Agreed. Uh, I'll never forget this because I walked out and people were still kind of buying up verses and everything. And Doug looked at me, if you don't mind me saying it, and had teary eyes. And he said, un, and, I, and he, said, he just said this. He said, unfathomable. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it's unfathomable to me that there are people, groups like the Majera who don't have a copy of the Word of God in their own language. He said, it's just unbelievable to me. And I thought, I was just so inspired by that, Doug, because it's like, we, we should get fired up about some unfathomable things like that, that there are so many people, groups that don't have the Word of God in their own native tongue. And I thank God that we worked on that right there. Some things we need to focus on unbelieving. It's hard for us to believe that every day more than 16,000 children die from hunger-related causes. One child every five seconds dies of hunger and malnutrition. Five seconds. Let's unbelieve that. Let's make that hard to believe and get out there and do our part to help curb that matter, transform it. We've got to believe that we can do something about that. I think of the Joshua Project, which uh, helped us some, in some ways with the... Uh, with the uh, translations, but this is their latest study on reachness status. And you've got, you know, 3,200, 3,300 significantly reached people groups, partially reached people groups, 3,700, superficially reached groups. Look over here, minimal, minimally reached people groups and then unreached. It's, it's almost half, completely unreached, 6,738 people groups. We should become unbelieving about that. Unfathomable that we're behind in getting the Word of God out there to people, not having people reach the way they would. There's some other ways I think people are being superficially reached or not at all. At least 95% of people incarcerated in state prisons will be released back to their community at some point. In a study that followed, 404,000 uh, people released from state prisons in 30 states. This was in 2005. Of those folks, 68% were arrested within a three-year time of release and then 77% within five years of release. We need to unbelieve that. That's hard to believe, and we need to do something about that. And thank God we're doing some ministries now. I was talking to Gil Franks about LifeLink, talking about the George and other people who are doing what? Jobs for Life. Even some people we come into contact over at Truvine who are, have just come out of, of incarceration. And a lot of these folks 
some of it's their fault. Sometimes people are incorrigible. I get that. But for some people, we don't create a way for them to get a step up in society. And we can go around blaming government all we want, and we should to a great degree, but what are we doing in the church? And thank God we've got some ministries that are so committed to that. I think our unbelief in some of these things should call us to action. Shouldn't be able to accept these. So seeing is believing, seeing the wounds of brothers and sisters who press on in the faith, and we should unbelieve certain things that can be set right. And in these two ways, seeing is believing. But let me put it one other way, and let me close with this, that seeing is believing. Let's look at the very last verse here. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Believing is seeing. I'm going to close with the words of a man named Malcolm Muggeridge. He was a well-known atheist and satirist, was a highly influential British journalist and editorialist. As a young man, he was attracted to communism. Then he went to the Soviet Union and lived there for a few years and said, I don't think so. Became a strong anti-communist. In World War II, he served the British government as a spy and as a soldier. After the war, he became the most influential um, editorialist in the English-speaking world and and, uh, was based in London. He was also known as as a really sleazy hedonist and womanizer. I'll just put it bluntly. And then he found Jesus, and his life changed. In fact, how many of you all have heard of Mother Teresa? It was his book and his writings about her. He's the one who put her on the map and introduced her to the Western world. Towards the end of his life, he wrote these words that he put so eloquently and beautifully, I think, about the truth that believing is seeing. And I just want to read them, and either just listen to them or follow the words up there. I just think this is beautiful. He says, plenty of great teachers, mystics, martyrs, and saints have spoken words full of grace and truth. In the case of Jesus alone, however, the belief has persisted that when he came into the world, God condescended to take on the likeness of a man in order that men might reach out. For myself, as I approach my end, I find Jesus' outrageous claim ever more captivating and meaningful. Quite often, waking up in the night as the old do, I feel myself to be half out of my body, hovering between life and death, with eternity rising in the distance. I see my ancient carcass prone between the sheets, stained and worn like a scrap of paper dropped in the gutter, and hovering over it myself like a butterfly, released from the chrysalis stage and ready to fly away. Are caterpillars told of their impending resurrection? How in dying they will be transformed from poor earth crawlers into creatures of the air with exquisitely painted wings? If told, do they believe it? I imagine the wise old caterpillars shaking their heads. No, it can't be. It's a fantasy. Yet in the limbo between living and dying, as the night clocks tick remorselessly on and the black sky implacably shows not one single streak or scratch of gray, I hear those words, I am the resurrection and the life and feel myself to be carried along on a great tide of joy and peace. Folks, as we celebrated a few Sundays ago, tombs empty, Christ is risen. Even in spite of our questions and doubts, I hope and pray that ultimately we can cry out as one voice the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do believe Help our unbelief.
And yet help us to embrace it when we doubt, when we question, knowing that as we go through that phase of our pilgrimage, we can come out all the stronger. I'd like for us just to take a moment, if we could, and, and if you know someone who is really struggling with something right now that is probably impacting their own uh, journey with Christ, causing them to perhaps question and doubt some things, maybe ask the simple question, why, why is this happening, why am I going through this? Can you, in silent prayer, just lift up that person right now? And if it's yourself, lift, lift your prayer up to God. Do that for just a moment. Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you that we have this cloud of witnesses, even in this room, who by their own wounds, they have taught us to have more faith. Thank you for those who are here who remind us to consider it unfathomable that some people do not know the gospel. And may we do something about it. And ultimately, thank you that like Thomas, we can exclaim, my Lord and my God, and so mean it in our hearts, in the depths of our souls. We pray these things in your name. Amen.